So welcome to the program, everyone. Be sure to be asking questions for our relatives out there. We are definitely still being challenged by this and we need to find the very best way out of it for ourselves and our families. So welcome to the program for me. Get ready with those questions and turning this over to Dr. Ignace from the Ignace Indian Health Center here in Milwaukee. Dr. Ignace. Thanks, Mark, and thanks, Jeremiah, with the introduction. Uh, yeah, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of stuff is going on right now, and um, uh, I was pretty much glued to the TV for the last hour. And so <clears throat> um, what I'm going to try to bring in some high points to um, the news that has come out today, looking at how we can get more of the facts of, and, and maybe address some of the hesitancy that people are currently having uh, and just getting into the numbers overall. So let's start with what happened this week. So typically on Sundays, um, health experts will usually get on national TV and explain what is going on. And, and so uh, Dr. Fauci came out, said that uh, their federal guidelines on wearing face mask coverings indoors may change soon. And I, I thought this was a, a bit telling as to what was gonna be occurring this week because we actually have heard it what happened just 60 minutes ago. But the whole point of, of this interview uh, this weekend by Dr. Fauci was to really announce that even though Mother's Day was much as it is right now, that next year's Mother's Day was gonna look quite different and kind of close to normal. Um, but the sentiment was more around vaccinations and the conditions around that. And um, I'll go through a little bit about what has come out with today. It's still in its development, but at least there's a guiding direction here now with how, how we're going to move forward. So, but one of the things that came out, which, which was I thought was kind of interesting, and I had to basically say, he, he said what, was th there's all this talk, all this, you know, from administration down throughout the entire country that the July 4th weekend is kind of this pinnacle moment where um, everything is coming to a point. And the current administration's goal of, reaching 70% of adults uh, who have gotten at least one, one dose uh, by July 4th. Now, single dose doesn't mean fully vaccinated. So um, it was kind of interesting because he also said we're at 58% today. And so Premising with that, like July 4th is going to be kind of this moment of, of re relaxation on all of these restrictions. You know, I'll, I'll explain as I go through because there's certain points that are occurring that I think we all have to keep in mind. So We've heard the term herd immunity come up multiple, multiple times over the last year. What does that mean? You know, what if we get to that point, that threshold, does that mean everything's done? <clears throat> and the answer is that pretty much <clears throat> you could <clears throat> you could make the case that if if communities reach 70% of 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 uh, of that threshold, that the any type of infection, this particular infection. Um, would become more and more difficult to spread uh, in a community because either most people will have already have had it or people have been vaccinated to render it, uh, um, render the virus, virus's inability to be transferred and, and transmitted to others. So, so keep these numbers in mind as I go through this. So 70% has kind of been that herd immunity level that everyone has kind of settled in on as being that point. 
58% uh, of adults. So take these statements, but you have to do kind of your own background research to figure out where these numbers are coming from. <clears throat> so what Fauci was alluding to what is what occurred in the last 60 minutes, where the CDC, NIH uh, have come out and announced that fully vaccinated people no longer need to wear a mask, a face mask, or stay six feet away from others in most settings, whether indoors and outdoors. So that's a pretty big statement and a pretty big direction and <clears throat> how this country is gonna be moving forward. They did give some indications and, and some nuances here that um, people should continue to wear masks in certain settings, like in the hospital or in your uh, doctor's office. Um, you know, businesses may still require them. They're still recommending on any travel by air uh, that you continue to wear your mask. Public transportation, planes and trains and any type of traveling, it is still recommended. But <clears throat> so, without having a full description of what this statement means, I think it's going to lead into some confusion, um, especially <clears throat> as the day goes on and into the weekend, because the rules don't seem to be very explicit uh, in, in what setting. Is it just this one setting? We know that you know, like as I mentioned, hospitals, uh, prisons, homeless shelters, the, these are still required. Um, but schools have not been part of this discussion. So again, just some kind of conflicting messages, not absolute, that is just going to lend itself to more confusion. And so as I'm listening to this, the CDC director speak today, what um, was kind of interesting was a reference to a article, uh, an article that was published just last week. So May 5th, uh, a journal uh, article published in the New England Journal of Medicine, JAMA, <clears throat> titled Being Effectiveness of COVID-19 Vaccines Against Variants. Now, what they don't say, well, you kind of have to decipher this a little bit. So. The BNT162B2 COVID-19 vaccine, that's essentially Pfizer's vaccine. Um, so you kind of have to decipher codes here and how they express medical literature, but this is the Pfizer vaccine. So what JAMA um, was looking at, the New England Journal of Medicine, what they were looking at is looking at Pfizer's effectiveness against um, variants, specifically the UK B117, as well as the South African B1351. Now, here uh, it is in reference to Pfizer. It is nearly 90% effective in prevention of infection and 75 uh, up to the UK and 75% effective against the South African. <coughs> Sorry, <clears throat> dealing with allergies. So this is important to know how effective, because it's kind of been this nebulous description and, and information hasn't been so readily put out there uh, to, to kind of signify um, what work and at what level does it work at. This paper really looks at how effective it is against these two particular variants. And this is, this is still a very good, still very good, really good effectiveness against the variants. I mean, I think we're beyond the, the original virus in its effectiveness because it's just been shown to be way more, uh, way more than 90% than effective against that. But now we have evidence to say even the variants, it, the Pfizer vaccine is effective. And when <clears throat> they took this one step further is even if people who got the virus while vaccinated 
did it prevent severe disease? Severe disease typically mean, meaning um, beyond just getting it and having symptoms, but being hospitalized. And that's probably the biggest, the biggest thing is being hospitalized or having a fatal outcome. So getting the vaccine, if you get COVID with uh, B117 or the B1351, that it was 100% in its effectiveness, which is really uh, remarkable, um, 100%. Now there isn't a line here by any virus, any virus being the original and other variants. So, but again, it's effectiveness uh, vaccinated by Pfizer, 97.4. I mean, you remember back in school, 97 still an A. So um, whether 97 or 100, that's still absolutely remarkable in how effective um, this vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine uh, is uh, to the variants. Now, I think you can extrapolate that from Pfizer to Moderna since they have share essentially the same technology base, the same technology platform. Um, and so what, whatever comes out talking about Pfizer, you can almost say it's the same as with Moderna. So <clears throat> just because this paper talks about Pfizer, you can imply that Moderna follows suit as well. Now, I think this is important because people want to know um, facts. They want to know the information and how effective these this, these vaccines are, not just to the original virus, but to the variants, because now variants are becoming more and more common. Um, you know, people might say, well, it's not very good against the variants. Why should I bother? Well, this paper sh shows very clearly that it absolutely is important and the information is there to show that it is effective against the variants as well. So, <clears throat> um, I, I alluded to this uh, last, uh, last week in, in talking about people's hesitancy in getting the vaccine. Obviously people have fears, they're hesitant, they need more information, they're worried about the side effects, you know, they kind of take it as we'll wait and see approach, you know, that, uh, you know, this was developed too quickly or this was, um, you know, hearing all kinds of things about it, you know, fertility problems and DNA and this would be introduced. And it's really quite remarkable hearing um, all of these side uh, opinions and, and comments that uh, if you were to look at it more closely and if you're understanding of the facts and that's really what this Native Strong is about is to assure that the Native community has these facts that they understand um, not only the science but the process and the information and data that comes out so again you know, having side effects to a vaccine, whether it be, you know, chills or a fever or feeling achy or, you know, arm soreness, <clears throat> maybe I get a headache. This really pales in comparison if these only last 24, 36 hours versus what could last two to three weeks of feeling bad or even worse, being in the hospital or even having a a fatal outcome you know the everyone has the choice of what they want to do but I will say I would rather take a day or two of side effects than two or three weeks of really unknown certainty what's going to happen with effect uh, with a COVID infection so I, I I've sensed a lot of individuals are concerned about the process. The process was rushed, the process was too quick. You know, <clears throat> this is kind of a quick illustration of how companies, biotech companies, not only do their research and development, but they've created, they've gone through their approval process for going through their cl clinical trials. So that part doesn't change. 
that part of clinical trials of any type of therapeutic, whether it be medication or whether it be a vaccine, that process doesn't change. Um, that process doesn't change. So under normal circumstances, so let's just take biotech company X has a treatment, let's say it's a vaccine, they go through their trials. Once those trials are completed, they can submit their data. What typically happens, uh, the vaccine sponsor will collect at least six months um, of the, of the follow-up data from their phase three clinical trial. And they will submit this uh, for an extensive application process to the FDA. Uh, the FDA would have 10 months to review, appro approve, and license um, this therapeutic. Now, during this time, um, it's federally mandated that a external review board for the FDA called uh, VRB PAC, um, that's the Vaccine Related Biological Products Advisory Committee, uh, they meet and they go over their uh, data uh, and they will go over it and over and over it and submit to the FDA. The FDA will certainly go through their process of approval and say, yes, this is good. Uh, we recommend this. It will go to the advisory committee, the ACIP advisory committee on immunization practices. They will go through their review process, go to the CDC, and CDC makes their final decision based on all the information collected from all of these groups and put out their approval. That's under normal times, okay? Now, in abnormal times, such as this, in the case of a global emergency or pandemic, um, the sponsor, the biotech company only needs two months, only two months of follow-up clinical trial data to apply. Everything else essentially stays the same. Okay. So that, the lower half of this slide, that first, the green bar tells you what the normal process is. Now, instead of getting six months follow-up data from uh, phase three clinical trials, that under uh, pandemic or global emergencies, they only need two months. And that's exactly what happened in this scenario with, we'll call it Pfizer. So um, this means that they could apply in abnormal times uh, for emergency use authorization. Now it's also under the assumption that Pfizer the sponsor by Biotech will apply for a full license, full approval by the FDA uh, once they have their follow-up data. Then the FDA has six to ten months to review. Now, what's interesting is what it's. This doesn't get talked about, but Pfizer has done that, and and the FDA is actually in that process of right now for FDA approval. It's been authorized for emergency use, but Pfizer's in the process of getting a final approval, which is ongoing right now. So I've heard people say that, well, it's not FDA approved. Well, it's in the process. And I think we have enough data to this point to show under its emergency use authorization that that approval should be more of just a formality that we've been operating under this emergency use. We know how effective Pfizer is, not only against the original virus, but also with the paper I just showed you from the Journal of Medicine, that um, um, that this should be approved, which means if people are waiting for that terminology, um, I don't know if getting your vaccine now versus three months, four months from now, when they finally do give their final approval, if that really is going to change your mind. 
Do you want to wait four months and say when the FDA, or do you want to get it now when and actually we're kind of operating in that mode uh, as we speak right now? Now, a third thing has occurred. Pfizer has um, asked the FDA. Now, this isn't a an emergency use authorization. It is a an extension or an amendment to the adult emergency use authorization. So we know that the CDC has approved of Pfizer's vaccine of 12 years of age and older. Uh, it's not a new emergency use authorization request. It's really an extension to include 12 year olds. And obviously this past week we heard from uh, the uh, Verbac that um, vaccine related biological products advisory committee. We've heard from the FDA. We heard from ASEP yesterday. CDC is going to give its really more final uh, approaches, uh, final recommendations on it. But essentially everything that you've heard up to this point, uh, the CDC is going to move ahead with, with everyone's uh, uh, recommendations and approvals, and it is essentially free to to vaccinate 12-year-olds. So in this whole process, in this whole process, there really hasn't been any part of the steps along the way that have been shorted, that have been uh, overstepped, that have been overlooked. All of the processes that are normally in place are in place they've condensed the process. They've condensed the process. And probably the biggest difference is instead of having six months of uh, follow-up data from your phase three clinical trials to down to two, uh, that is essentially the only major difference in this entire process of not only from its creation of the vaccine to its approval process, um, that whole thing has been condensed um, to to the time frame that we currently are at. So um, I am confident in not only the process, but also the extensive evaluations and data analysis and crunching and questions being posed and answers being answered and um, that are appropriate. Uh, I am confident in not only the entire process, but again, having the FDA give its final approval is more of a formality, and I already view this uh, vaccine um, in that light, and that it, um, obviously this is a vaccine that's been approved <clears throat> with the intention, uh, not only that it's safe, but also effective, and now we're seeing it's quite effective against other variants. So here is the uh, kind of latest update on this table, looking at Pfizer. I just discussed several things uh, regarding Pfizer. Um, so Johnson & Johnson has moved forward. They lifted the pause. It's being distributed, it's being given out as a single dose uh, vaccine to 18 and older. Uh, Moderna's 18 and older, and now with Pfizer, it's 12 and older. Um, so those are kind of the major highlights. And just so everyone knows, Pfizer and Moderna are looking at um, reducing that age eligibility uh, down to six months and older. And um, information is gonna be coming out on that, hopefully in the month of June, and then maybe in July or even before the school year, um, we're going to be off to the races again, looking at how we can vaccinate um, uh, tod infants, toddlers, and, and even younger adolescents. And so that's where we are right now. Now, I know there's a lot of talk, continued, continued talk around the Johnson & Johnson. Now, the CDC has come out this week describing 
in, in real painstakingly data crunching um, presentations, um, what, how many cases of this clotting disorder have come up since its administrative um, authority uh, approval? We know that 8.7 million doses of Johnson Johnson have been administered. 28 people here in the United States have developed this clotting disorder. Three have passed. Um, and so, you know, during its delivery and administration between March and May 7th, uh, more than 2.2 million people were diagnosed with COVID with 43,000 people who have died. This is based on the John Hopkins University uh, uh, resource map. So looking at timeframes between Johnson Johnson's administration, the number of COVID infections during this time frame of administration, and looking at the number of cases, clotting cases that have occurred in this time frame we start to get a better sense of risk. Um, and, and here I, I mentioned, what are the chances that a person vaccinated with Johnson & Johnson will develop this uh, thrombosis with thrombocytopenia syndrome? You know, this bloody blood clot disorder that it can occur in various different veins as well as arteries in our body. Well. CDC's come out and said there's one in 300,000 uh, chance that you would, if you got Johnson & Johnson, that you would develop this. Um, so now the flip side to this is, is during the same time frame, 7,600 Americans, U.S. Americans have died from COVID. So when you start looking, I'm, I'm sorry, um, one in 76 Americans have died. One in 76 Americans have died from COVID. So when you look at risk of Johnson Johnson blood clotting to COVID and the risk of dying, you really get a, a sense that the risk of dying from COVID is 40 times, 40 times higher than from getting the blood clotting disorder. So from the vaccine from Johnson & Johnson. So that is really the bottom line when it comes is risk adverse and being able to understand your chances of, <clears throat> of not getting vaccinated and one in, we'll just do round numbers, one in 8,000 Americans who died from COVID versus one in 300,000 chances of getting this blood clotting disorder uh, from the vaccine. So again, very clear that the benefit of the vaccine outweighs the risk. And just to give you some context, people say, well, <clears throat> what's, what's, what's one in 300,000? Well, there's basically a one in half a million chance that you could get struck by lightning. Does it happen? Yes. Not very often. Rarely does it happen, but it happens. Getting this disorder as a result of getting the vaccine, one in 300,000, yeah, I mean, that's, it, it could happen, but it is a rare, rare uh, effect of, of, as a result of getting the vaccine. So, <clears throat> I mentioned variants, how effective Pfizer is against variants, not only against the original virus, but also against the variant. UK, South African variant as being the two principal um, uh, against prevention and also preventing severe disease. Now, when we look at variants here in the state of Wisconsin, Wisconsin sequences uh, positive, randomly positive cases of COVID here in the state and they start sequence, genetically sequencing what type of, is it the original virus? Is it a variant? If it is a variant, what type of variant are we looking at? And what we're seeing now <clears throat> is that um, the original virus is the predominant 
virus that is occurring here in Wisconsin. Almost 80% of all COVID cases are related to the original virus. 20% are related to the variant, but when you break that out, what we're really talking about principally is that the B117 is the, the vast majority of all the variants that are occurring. Now, I just mentioned based on the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, Pfizer, Moderna vaccine are quite effective, almost perfect against uh, preventing not only severe disease, but also in its effectiveness in preventing infection. <clears throat> so, original virus, UK B117 virus, Pfizer, Moderna are effective against, based on this paper, May 5th, against the variants. So, again, facts and information certainly would help support you um, in, in getting the, the vaccine. Now, <clears throat> just to give you a sense of what's going on in comparison to what's occurring here in the United States, we've all heard about India. India has, has had some pretty catastrophic uh, numbers here uh, that affects not only uh, its population, but all its uh, intensity on their hospital systems, their infrastructure, ability to test and support people who have the virus. Now, in the past week, there's been some dynamic changes, and it appears that perhaps India has plateaued uh, with COVID infections at about 400,000. They keep bouncing back from 400 to about 375, bouncing back and forth. So is this the plateau that India is going to be operating under, and how long will this last? Will it be a two-week block, three-week block, four-week block, and then start to decline? Well, you can imagine that the next couple months are going to really be hanging in the balance here of how how effective and how quickly this can be turned around. If it, it continues to kind of linger about in the 400,000s for days and days and days and weeks or even a month, you can understand what that impact is going to be directly to not only its population, but also its health systems and even its poor outcomes and fatalities. They're already reaching record numbers. And um, according to the WHO, <clears throat> in the southeast region of the country, as in India, uh, the, India accounts for 95% of all COVID cases and 93% of all deaths in that region. Now, when you look at it, what does that compare to it globally? Well, 50% of all global cases and 30% of all global deaths are attributed to what is occurring in India right now. And that's pretty, that's a huge, uh, <clears throat> that's a huge percentage of what's going on in the entire world altogether. As a comparison, you see what's occurring here in the United States. <clears throat> Numbers are declining. Um, and, and now we're seeing like 33,000 and starting to see that perhaps that this number is, is trending downwards on a regular basis now. Similar countries with similar activities as Brazil and France, they are uh, also kind of following this trend of uh, downward trajectory. Uh, Israel um, is Brazil and France. Israel, um, interesting, in the past week, Israel has actually reported zero <clears throat> zero infections, um, like uh, three out of the last seven days. Um, I think one reported day of 50 uh, cases in one day. And that's really remarkable given that um, they've reached that herd immunity threshold of either people who have gotten COVID or have been vaccinated. Um, that, is, that is a remarkable feat. Same with UK they have kind of reached this steady state plateau where the vast majority of their population has um, received the vaccine and they're averaging less than 2,400 cases a day uh, for their entire country. So this is really some remarkable 
results as as the country has put in such a huge effort in making sure that everyone gets vaccinated <clears throat> that we're seeing such a dramatic uh, turnaround. So pulling this back to here in Wisconsin, looking at where we are at 44.6% of the state has now been uh, at, at least administered one uh, shot of the vaccine, uh, almost 2.6 million. <clears throat> We see the age distribution. Uh, we see the race and ethnic distribution where uh, the native population is at 27.5% uh, that have been vaccinated. Asians 39.6, African-American 21.1, white 41.7, Hispanics 27.7. What I wanted to show uh, just kind of behind the scenes what these numbers were, what the number of trends are looking like. So as you go from left to right, this bottom table shows you at a week interval what the total number of individuals that have had at least a single dose. <clears throat> now, the middle section, the highlighted yellow uh, section, is the number of single doses uh, uh, individuals in the past week. So what I what I've done here is I, I unhighlighted yellow to just white, indicating the, the total number of individuals immunized. At what week did this peak? For the natives here in Wisconsin, it peaked March 17th, and since then has been steadily declining. And you can see the other uh, racial and ethnic groups when their date had peaked, and you see a steady decline. And as we, over the last month, it has, for four straight weeks, has been a steady decline across the board for every, every race, every ethnicity. And then the numbers on the far right, just look at the rate of percent change in the past week, really just looking at, again, when did this peak and how has uh, the trend been since? And the trends have been steadily declining across the board for all groups. <clears throat> When we look at fully vaccinated individuals, the state's looking at 38.38% right now. And really the bar tables are really just showing where we are um, um, by race and ethnicity and what those percent changes have been over the various weeks and when those peaks had occurred. Um, so it's been steady, um, but now, these percent changes should really start, since we're a month out from steady declines across the board, we're probably gonna be looking at steady decreases from here and out for the next uh, four weeks, just because of the timing of the vaccines. Pfizer's tw uh, 21 days, Moderna's uh, 28 days. We're at that point now where we are probably gonna start seeing uh, steady declines of increases uh, as we move forward. Um, looking at the administration of vaccines here in the state of Wisconsin, 4.7 million doses have been administered. We see the breakout of Johnson & Johnson, Moderna, Pfizer. Pfizer has 2.5, you know, more than half of the state has uh, been uh, vaccinated with Pfizer. 2 million from Moderna and 182,000 doses administered by Johnson & Johnson. So when we look at May 12th on the far right here, we see that uh, the total number of doses administered, 4.7. What we, what we look at, what I look at, is what the, what is the seven-day average? Well, the seven-day average now is just a little over 30,000. So as you look at prior weeks, you can see the peak of vaccine was April 14th. And ever since then, the decline has been quite rapid. In fact, we're now at a rate of half of what we were doing just four weeks ago. So it's really amazing how quickly uh, things have turned um, uh, turned, and, and now we're seeing such a decline here in, in the state of Wisconsin. We look at what's going on in the, in the entire United States. So here, <clears throat> um, we have a steady uh, increase, and 
bam, it flips and we start seeing the rate of decrease. And if you look kind of, if you look at it, you would say, well, there's been a steady increase. But when you start looking at the decrease, you wonder if that decrease is occurring a lot faster than the rate of increase was. And you're probably right when you start looking at this, especially in the last week, that number is drastically going down. Um, and I think what we're right now is like just over 1.8 million doses per day. Um, I suspect next week it will be even closer to maybe 1.5. Now, I had mentioned earlier that Fauci made statements about kind of 70% by July 1. We're at 58% right now. So I find that a little interesting because when we talk about herd immunity, we don't describe herd immunity as only a certain age group. Um, because the reference point was that, yes, we're only at 58%, but that was speaking to people uh, 18 years of age and older. Well, that really cuts out anybody less than 18 years of age. And we know that there's a good portion of the population, uh, more than 20% of the population uh, uh, is essentially less than 18 years of age. So, we can't just exclude them for the sake of saying <clears throat> um, we're at 58, we need to get to 70. They have to be included in this population. Otherwise, your numbers get skewed. So I, in, in, in accounting for the entire US population, if we're looking at 70% as being this target goal by July 1, we need an estimated 48 to 50 million new individuals to be vaccinated between now and July 1. Now, I had mentioned the rate of decline that's occurring, and it's occurring quite rapidly, uh, almost 400 to <coughs> <coughs> almost 400 to half a million people difference each week in decline. When you start looking at the numbers, I don't know between now and July 1, given the rate of decline that's occurring, whether or not this is achievable. When we're looking at 48 to 50 million new individuals getting vaccinated. Now, if we're looking at a US population of 325 million on top of what's been done and what needs to be done between now and July, we're, and the rate of decline, we're probably looking at a fully vaccinated population of about 62, 63%. That's if the rate stays the way it is. If it even, if it decreases, if the rate of decreases is even more or there are fewer and fewer and fewer people getting vaccinated by at least my estimation, I have overestimated and that number may actually fall to a much lower population. Now I'm including the entire population. I'm not talking about 18 years of age and older because now that we've, we've authorized uh, individuals 12 years of age and older, you have to include that now in your number. You can't exclude it. So you have to keep apples to apples, oranges to oranges, I'm looking at the entire population, and I don't know with July 1, we're gonna get 70% just based on the numbers that I'm seeing. So <clears throat> that's, it is what it is. I mean, I, I, changes are occurring so fast. I don't think it's attributable to just Johnson & Johnson. I think the, the people who wanted the vaccine got the vaccine it reached a steady state, a threshold, and now uh, it is now trying to find creative ways to get more people uh, engaged in the idea of getting vaccinated. So whether that happens, uh, obviously, hopefully the information that I provide will certainly um, assure people of the information and, and remind them that it is important. Uh, it is important to get vaccinated. And, and that 
Um, certainly as the CDC outlines uh, different guidelines for people who've been vaccinated to now not having to wear the mask, well, you know, there are, there are benefits to this, the vaccine, not just to your safety, but the safety of your family. So as we look as, as to what is going on in the native, uh, native country, we see the, from left to right, IHS, the areas involved, the total number of tests being done, uh, aggregated to date, <clears throat> as well as the total number of positive cases aggregated to date. When we look at the change over the last week of May 12th, we start seeing that the number of positive, new positive cases in the past week. At the very bottom, we see the, the total number of new cases in the past week at being 864. <clears throat> so um, the week prior, there was 838, a slight, slight increase in number but statistically looking at it it is a is a it is a flat change it's not a significant change so we've had three straight weeks that were steadily declining really as a result of the introduction of the vaccines and dissemination throughout the entire country and all reservations and, and ihs facilities as well as urban settings people have been getting vaccine and so now we've seen that drop, um, that drop plateaued into the the you know thousand cases a week went down, and now we're kind of at a new steady state. And hopefully, this is something that drops down again rather than just staying here. So hopefully, we'll see this uh, trend change for the positive going down. Uh, but time will, will will certainly let us know that. If we look at the in the Bemidji area. Uh, the tribes of Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin, the total number of confirmed cases in parentheses, the total number of new cases in the past week. We see that all, um, all natives in each of the respective states, that number <clears throat> uh, in Michigan and Minnesota are starting to decrease. Wisconsin has had kind of the steady increase over the last three weeks. When we look at the rate of, of COVID by population, we see that Michigan 7.4, Minnesota 7.6, Wisconsin almost at 13% <clears throat> and, and continues to rise uh, ever so slowly. This is kind of the latest of what's going on for the native community here in Milwaukee County. This is the rate of single dose infections by per 100,000. We see the, the yellow bar representing the native community. We've had two significant increases uh, in the rates of vaccinations for natives here. <clears throat> and then once April started, uh, we see this kind of rapid decline across the board, across all races and ethnicities. So, uh, and that's been a steady decline that's been gone going for almost a month now. Um, much of what we see in the numbers, we see that here uh, in this graph, if we take an extension and, and look at it as, as a bar graph of Milwaukee County and the ethnic groups of, of blue being the week prior, the orange being current, we see that the current rates of, of, of uh, single, at least having at least one single dose of vaccine in Milwaukee County by race, we see that the native population still has a very high rate, a very successful rate of vaccination here followed by the other races and ethnicity. So when you look at this, it's pretty clear as to um, um, there are, are groups that have, that have uh, certainly taken advantage of, of the vaccine. Uh, we still have work to do across the board for everyone. Um, and some communities may be a little more, a little harder uh, to get vaccinated than, than others. But believe me, it's not without effort. Um, everyone has been working extremely hard in assuring that uh, everyone has not only the access but are eligible uh, and the ability to get the vaccine. The seven-day average here in Wisconsin is now 491. Uh, I put some, some of these benchmarks as a reference point. So where we are right now is essentially where we were 
um, back last summer around the July 4th uh, timeframe. So uh, I think this is important as a, as a point of, as context as to where we are, you know, what we were doing last year to what we're doing right now. Um, and the sentiment that was occurring back last year to what it is now is very different. Uh, you know, people remember back last summer, there was certainly a, such a fever pitch of worry, fear, and concern with, you know, averages of 500 a day, where now we're seeing 500 a day, 500 a day now, and we're like, mm, you know, um, now it doesn't seem such a big deal now, but a year ago, 500 a day was a huge deal. So, but we know more now. So, <clears throat> um, I know that the CDC has recommended 12 years of age and older for, for vaccines for uh, uh, 12 and older. Now, I, I wanted to bring to light, you know, this effort to assure we have vaccines for our teenagers okay, or teenage 10 to 19 here in Wisconsin. So looking at this table, again, if you go to the very far left, ages 10 to 19, the demographic of, the, of Wisconsin is about 740,000 individuals within this age group. There's been 72,000 cases, almost 10% of, of cases are due to this age group. Um, but less than 1% actually get hospitalized. 0.02% of all cases of this age group actually get admitted to the ICU. 0.004% fatality rate, and there's been three. So, that's the context of which we're talking about this vaccine. Now, when we look at what's occurred in the last two weeks, the last two weeks, we see that uh, 10 to 19 year olds, 1,500 cases. Uh, if you go straight to the bottom, you see that there's 19.3% of all cases in the last two weeks are due to this age group. 4% um, or 33 uh, of the total number of cases actually been admitted no ICU cases, and no fatalities. So the presence of, of virus is, you know, there without a doubt. Um, this age group, as we are addressing vaccines in our older age group, and much of them have been vaccinated, you know, their rates of infection are going down. And then as a result, whoever hasn't been vaccinated to date obviously their risk, it goes up and they're really the only ones left. Um, it's kind of like playing musical chairs. Once the music stops, whoever's left that's unvaccinated, you know, it runs the risk of getting infected. And so that's what we're seeing as we're pushing these blocks of age groups who are vaccinated um, and the age groups, younger age groups, become more and more of the predominant who are unvaccinated well we're going to see these age groups get more of the infections the flip side of this is that we know that the risk of hospitalization is low icu admissions are even remarkably rarer and even fatalities um, even become extremely rare so what i'm going to do i'm going to flip this back to you jeremiah and, and mark if you're still here uh, for any questions or comments or thoughts about what was discussed today. So i got to put you right on the spot. Um, there was a pretty quick question, I think, right when we got into the 12 and 15-year-olds, um, you know, as far as their now eligibility with the vaccine. Um, a woman on Facebook asked if uh, we, or the Gerald L. Ignatian Health Center, uh, will be holding a vaccine event or clinic for 12 to 15 year olds. Yeah, so we're going to, I'm looking at the logistics and coordination of this effort and possibly bringing back uh, um, um, 
the mobile vaccine teams that we assembled uh, in prior events uh, and really get a good estimation of, of, of um, the, um, the demand. I think we will be able to hold something or, or host something. Um, and I think we'll be able to be able to provide this very successful. Please stay tuned. Um, I, I'm, I'm really trying to get the logistics and the coordination of this, uh, just so everyone knows Pfizer, uh, Pfizer vaccine is quite readily available. Uh, however, our distribution doesn't give us just like 100 doses or 200 doses. They give us a, in one big supply. And so um, if I was to post this, I would have to assure that we have a very high yield in, in response. And so I wanna make sure that um, we're doing this in, in the best of effort to make sure that um, uh, that we address it. So, but please stay tuned. I'll, I'll be making an announcement probably as early as next Thursday as to what our uh, endeavors are, will be for vaccinating 12 and older. And uh, so with the, you know, new CDC guidelines out about, um, and I, you know, I think to be clear, they said, you know, vaccinated individuals are, you know, should be or can kind of just go around their daily business mask free. Um, do you think or do you foresee this as a, a kind of a free pass almost to just to maybe people who haven't got the vaccine to say, well, you know, screw it, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go around now with no mask on and, you know, who cares, you know, big deal. Yeah, it's not as if we can go around and start asking people to pull out their vaccination cards. I mean, it's going to be hard and it's going to be, is it worth, is it worth the, the interaction or, or the confrontation that may come with asking people whether or not they've been vaccinated? And, and, and I think that's where I think the, the message as to, um, from a public health standpoint, public health standpoint, how do we move forward? Because what I didn't discuss and uh, what's gonna, uh, I think become more of an issue is, okay, that's great CDC from a public health standpoint, but from a, a national standpoint that has gone out. So what happens to states, local municipalities, uh, local public health departments, state public health departments, I mean, not every state, not every, not every uh, locale um, has that same mandate on masks. So let's say here in Milwaukee, the, the, uh, my understanding is even though the CDC is saying people who are vaccinated don't have to wear their mask indoors or outdoors in certain circumstances, City of Milwaukee, and we come back and say, "Well, we're still mandating masks," and so now we got a dilemma in in messaging that isn't quite clear, and there will be very, very big, broad gray lines here as to do I wear or not wear, you know, and it's just I, I see there be there to be confusion. I see there will be quite disagreements in mask wearing, again, perhaps even stronger than it was before, as into what setting and what circumstances, um, you know, does standing at a bus stop waiting for your bus constitute public traveling, or is it just when you're in the bus? I, it, again, believe me, it's going to get weird. I think even just to add something onto that, you know, you have, like you said, you have the the state, the city, the country, and then I think you have your own private businesses that can still kind of institute whatever their uh, restrictions or, or guidelines are as well. Yeah, and this could be private business, could be public, uh, you know, domains, you know, is this only state sites, government sites, I'm going to continue to mandate, but private businesses are, you know, I guarantee you all the bars are going to be full with nobody wearing masks if they're not already doing it already. I'm just saying, uh, there's just gonna be this huge, broad um, interpretation. Well, uh, if I oh could yeah, add, no, sorry, yeah, go ahead. If I could add one more thing regarding the vaccination of the 12 and older. So again, um, 
not even though the the government doesn't have any specific regard requirements or guidance on the medical consent for 12 and older i mean there's no federally mandated you know piece of paper that says hey everyone's got to sign this it all is dependent on state and local municipality laws and regulations around consent when we're talking about people individuals less than the age of 18 as considered minors who need consent especially we know this as a going to your provider with underage kids that are minor that they can't get anything without the consent of the parent and this may be the case where kids may have to show up with their parents to give written consent it won't be verbal it has to be written because uh, every state is different every state is going to be following different rules and guidelines on how to enforce this and how it's going to be done it's just going to add an, another layer of complexity to uh, vaccinating 12 and uh, uh, to minors, really. And uh, so last question I'll, uh, I'll leave you with is, you know, I think there was a, I don't want to name names, but uh, I'll just say talking head that said today that, you know, it's, it's, it's about time that, you know, people are, we're going to start opening up and, you know, um, we're mask restrictions are going to drop off a little bit um and you know maybe this will entice people that haven't gotten vaccinated yet to get vaccinated seeing that oh well if i'm vaccinated now i can just drop my mask and maybe you know go out to the bars go out to the restaurants do do, do the normal things that i haven't been able to do do you foresee that being being a, a driver for you know vaccines to be you know kind of give, get another jump or um, do you kind of, I, I know you mentioned that this kind of um, downward trajectory or, you know, what do you foresee as a, uh, besides that, a possible way that, that, to get people interested and reinterested in um, getting these numbers so, back up? And this is where it gets, this is where it gets really confusing because as I mentioned, so Fauci says, hey, we need 70% by uh, July 1st. Well, I had mentioned that we're not, I, at the rate we're going right now, I don't see us getting to 70% of the country, the population getting, getting to that level. Um, so, you know, people are gonna question whether or not 70% was the herd immunity threshold. Um, did we overestimate, over project ourselves to say we need 70%, absolutely 70%, or is a herd immunity more like 60% and that getting 10% more would be just kind of icing on the cake? I don't know. You know, is this, this notion, this whole idea of not having to wear masks indoors, outdoors, did, did we do this too early? Did, we, did the CDC pronounce this kind of declaration too early? Um, only because was this based on this data? Because if the, the information, the science, the articles and, the, and all of these, you know, medical journals, articles that are coming out would have suggested that perhaps this could have been uh, recommended maybe a month ago. So I, I think we have a messaging problem as to moving forward because now I just think right now what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, what I'm reading, there's conflictions of information and um, this, this declaration of when the pandemic is going to be over, who's going to declare that and how is it going to be determined is going to come in question as well. And, and, and so you know, that we've all kind of been feeling July 1st, is that when this is going to be over? Answer is probably not. It won't be July 1. But I think when we talk about how the country moves forward, how the CDC plays a role in its messaging, how it's conveying, uh, um, if, you know, medical information based on, on numbers and statistics and all that business, um, 
it, these finer points are going to get very confusing and um, and people are going to get upset again because um, these finer points people are going to have their own interpretation and it's going to be conflicting when two um, even federal agencies make two different statements on the same thing um, who are you to go with and so um, it's just going to be it, it, it this is the hard part about public health and and relying on information um, and not so much on sentiment but based on medical information that drives people's decisions uh, that's how this needs to go forward I don't know I'm talking in circles but all right well uh, thank you again dr. Nace for another uh, week here um, uh, I'll leave you, uh, of course, with the last word, but uh, one, you know, kind of fun uh, question, I guess, to end this off with. Uh, June 25th, uh, Miller Park, or, sorry, American Family Field is opening um, to a full, full, uh, full crowd, full stadium. Um, will you be going <laughs> come June 25th? I hope to be able to go before that date, but uh, yeah, I'm planning to go as soon as I get some free time. Uh, I want to go. I want to be there. I need to root my brewers on. Uh, thank you, Dr. Nice. And uh, yeah, well, like every week, uh, we'll leave you with the last word. And uh, thank you again for being here. Yeah, so a lot of, a lot of information has come out. Um, the mask uh, requirements, uh, if you're vaccinated, there's your perk. You get to be indoors, outdoors without a mask anymore and without having to social distance and there will be areas that obviously may be of higher risk than others but the benefit of not having to wear a mask as a result of being vaccinated should be i think motivation uh, to get people to uh, get out and get one until next time everyone stay strong and get your vaccines have a good day